Section twenty five of Mrs. Diamond. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Ruhi Huck. Mrs. Diamond by Anne Isabella Thackeray Ritchie. Book three, chapter one. Afterwards there was a roaring in the wind all night the rain came heavily and fell in floods but now the sun is rising calm and bright the birds are singing in the distant woods over his own sweet voice the stock dove broods the jay makes answer as the magpie chatters and all the air is filled with pleasant noise of waters william wordsworth when the grass was closely mown walking on the lawn alone in the turf a hole i found and hid a soldier underground under grass alone he lies looking up with leaden eyes scarlet coat and pointed gun to the stars and to the sun r l stephenson among the many who appeared to show their respect to the good girl's memory was mr marney in a shining and easy suit of deepest black an appearance of profoundest grief tempered by resignation to which a new hat swathed in crape greatly contributed aunt fanny strange to say was somewhat taken by mr marney his frankness how soothe loathed it his respectful sympathy his intelligent grasp of the situation of the many youthful failings to which with all his affection for his wife's daughter he could not be blind his full appreciation of the good colonel's strange infatuation his easy compliments his amusing little jokes at his wife and family uttered in a subdued voice as he befitted the circumstances all amused miss bolsover who accepted his odious compliments to tempy's indignant amazement susy had not asked mr marney to come he was no guest of hers she was unaffected in her grief unselfish anxious to spare others she would have come down had it been necessary but hearing of her stepfather's presence she kept away upstairs by joe's bedside or in her own room silent and apart in her sorrow some instinct seems to warn simple and defenceless creatures of the dangers of beasts of prey meanwhile in joe's absence miss bolsover received the company gave every possible direction she was in her element pens ink and paper her flowing hand and spreading sheets of platitude surrounded by broad edges of black filled the post-bags to the brim mr bolsover all crushed somehow sat dolefully dozing or smoking in his cosy gun-room mrs bolsover came there too for comfort or moped silent and apart sometimes she went over to the place susy liked to have her there aunt carr would come in looking old and scared into the little boudoir where susy sat alone the young widow used to go and meet her and without a word would put little phrasie on her knee charlie bolsover was present at his uncle's funeral naturally and unaffectedly shocked and overcome and yet not unnaturally thinking still more of tempy than of his uncle who had dealt hard measure to him and never done him justice he had but a few hours to remain at tarndale and he had determined to come and go without obtruding his own personal feelings either upon tempy or her stepmother but man's resolves especially charlie's are apt to be carried by the tide of the moment and the sight of poor tempy in her black 
with her wistful looks was too much for his philosophy he came up to the house late in the afternoon of the funeral day hoping for another sight of her she was alone in the drawing-room and then it happened that when charlie would have gone up to her tempy for the first time in all her life drew back shrank from him she glanced at him and then dared not look again tempy he said she did not look up but she stood pale and frozen with averted eyes go charlie she said at last this is no time to think of our selfish wishes ours have been selfish i see how wrong how wrong i was all along go dear charlie she said covering her eyes with her hand go she repeated angrily do you hear me her overstrung nerves were almost beyond her control i hear you said charlie turning sick and pale you do not mean it tempy yes i mean it i mean it tempy cried why do you doubt it go i tell you go charlie stood as if some gun had been fired at him he tried to speak no words came with one look he turned and walked straight out of the room tempy waited for an instant heard the front door shut then sank into the first chair when susy came to look for her she found the girl still sitting in the semi-darkness on a chair against the wall she had not moved since charlie had left her an hour before seeing susy she stood up you are satisfied she said i have done as papa wished i have sent charlie away she spoke in a thick dazed way which frightened her stepmother your father wished it susy repeated faltering dear tempy you could not go against his will and susy took tempy's cold hand and put her arm round her neck you did not love him as i did said tempy tearing her hand away and flashing her blue eyes at her young stepmother he loved you but you did not deserve it and charlie loves me and i do not deserve it the girl was in a frenzy of grief and despair ah papa thought i did not care for him because i loved charlie cried tempy but i have given poor charlie up for papa i let him go i let him go and now i am all by myself they are both gone both gone they will never come any more and she wrung her two hands susy stood in silence listening to the girl's reproaches were they deserved she did not know she did not ask for the first time she felt herself alone silent helpless as people feel who have to learn to live anew without the strength of long use to hold by oh tempy susy said at last i do honour you i can only feel you have done right let us put all doubts and perplexities away just for the present and wait in a little time everything will seem more clear and tempy took heart somehow once more susy's cordials were more to her mind than aunt fanny's chloral the next day the blinds were up miss bolsover in bugles and crape was still occupied with her own and everybody else's feelings giving every possible direction in the conduct of affairs charlie and mr marney had departed tempy's tears were flowing but that explanation with her stepmother had taken some of the bitterness from her heart she had done what she could she sat in joe's room languid by an open window looking across the gardens and the lake and the beautiful smiling valley the valley itself the fringed hills the moorlands which enclosed them were all a part of joe's inheritance there are also other things entailed besides farms and country estates which parents leave behind them they leave their lives to their children as well as their savings and their looks and family characteristics joe and tempy inherited among other things their father's directness and simplicity of character and his upright and honourable name and the memory of his many kind and liberal actions 
when the will was read it was found that the colonel had left a legacy of five thousand to each of his daughters and one thousand a year to his widow during her widowhood subject to these charges the various legacies enumerated he bequeathed the whole of his property to his son joe and tempy also inherited their mother's property which had been settled on them at his marriage strangely enough the colonel had added a codicil to his will on the very day of the fatal accident for he had called at his solicitors while waiting at countryside for joe's train by this codicil the colonel executed a power of appointment contained in the settlement made on his marriage with his first wife and appointed the trust funds in equal shares to his son and daughter but he made a proviso that the whole of that property should go to jocelyn in the event of his daughter tempy marrying under twenty-one without the consent of her guardian and he appointed his widow mrs susanna diamond to be the sole guardian of his three children in the event of mrs diamond's remarriage she was to give up her right to her jointure as well as to the guardianship of the elder children this provision which seemed of little importance was not in the codicil but in the will and had been suggested by the family solicitor the good loyal old colonel was indignant at the time at something his sisters had said and which the family adviser had quoted and protesting his wife's indifference to money had agreed to the clause without wasting much thought upon future possibilities susy had never cared for money of that he required no assurance and as for remarriage what should she want to marry again for she was much better at home at the place looking after Frazee and the other two thought the colonel to himself to say nothing of poor mrs marney and her boys the kind old son-in-law had left mrs marney a hundred pound legacy as a token of friendly regard together with a small sum to each of the boys and there were legacies to his sister and her husband and to his sister-in-law miss bolsover was offended by the portion which came to her share mr marney was also disappointed and made no secret of his irritation it was a shabby concern he said from beginning to end what is a hundred pounds a mere nothing and we owe it all and more too the boy fifty per cent won't find them in boots for six months to come as for susy and her beggarly jointure she may marry again and lose it all to-morrow susy won't marry she knows there is her brother's education said mrs marney with anxious conviction she has mickey and dermy to consider now and she is not one to forget her own people we all know the colonel's wishes and that he meant them to be properly taught it would have been more to the purpose if the old boy had written his wishes down on lawyer's paper with a couple of witnesses to see them carried out said marney i call it a d d unbusinesslike proceeding to say nothing of having to pay madame as you propose i am getting out of patience with her endless oh michael said poor mary reproachfully madame lent me twenty pounds last month it is not for the rent only not without difficulty was mickey's legacy reserved for madame's just claim if it had not been for her genuine love for the little boys and their mother madame du parc the sturdy and methodical would long ago have got rid of her unpunctual lodgers but she had grown to love the children and above all the poor lady whose troubles little by little had become her own susy wrote to her mother at once telling her of herself and of all in her home promising to provide for the boys schooling as heretofore she was to keep house for joe and she had no expense and plenty of spare money she said 
and she knew that john in his kindness would have wished her to continue what he had so generously begun she missed him sorely mourned him with a tender grateful heart she seemed at once scarcely able to live without him or to have a wish or to be able to settle the commonest things he had been a man of methodical habit he had ruled his household and drilled susanna to his own ideas she had never stood alone we know she was young and yielding and easy by nature she had learned from him to sort out and rearrange her life her events and friends her feelings and hospitality to use certain stock phrases to herself which she thought she believed in now that he was gone it seemed to susy as if she had become for ever what she had tried to be before elle plus femme quelle autre femme has often been quoted but never too often surely it applied to my heroine as she sat in her corner by joe's sofa a few weeks after her husband's death joe looked haggard but he was nearly well susy in back and in her widow's cap looked far more beautiful than in her coloured fashionable dresses younger gentler less reserved the western sunshine was coming in at the open window joe had fallen asleep and in the stillness as susy sat in the low chair by his touch she could also hear the voice of her little phrasy at play in the garden without and the hum in the distant field and the sounds coming across the lake joseline liked to have his stepmother near him susanna had that gift which belongs to some people for taking care of sick people tempy was too abrupt and nervous from very affection miss bolsover fussed she also wanted to do too much joe found in his stepmother the most comforting of nurses i do believe she's made of sticking plaster he used to say day by day his strength seemed to return his burning eyes became clear and soft he rarely spoke of the accident but he told them once for all that what he could remember of it his father was driving had suddenly fainted or fallen from his seat as he fell the horse was startled joe trying to catch the reins had been thrown from his seat he lost consciousness once he revived enough to hear george tyson saying the boat be there shall we take them home and then all was as nothing once more until he awoke in his own bed with tempy hanging over him nobody pretended to be anxious any longer jeffrey's grinned satisfaction at his patient's progress when aunt fanny suddenly appeared with the barouche announcing that change was now necessary and that she had come to carry joe off then and there broken bones and all to the hall joe worked himself into a passion he didn't want to go he was much better at home he gave an unearthly groan when his aunt advanced to persuade him in her most dulcet tones you may as well say at once joe that new things have bewitched you that flattery has divided you from old friends that your old home has lost all interest for you said aunt fanny greatly startled by his noise and fairly losing her temper and her eternal melodious inflections i don't want to be tortured all the way from this to the hall cried joe with condoning crossness flattery why don't you flatter me you and aunt car too and then aunt fanny leaves the room followed by tempy in tears trying to soothe her poor tempy the tears rose very easily to her eyes now i don't know what has become to joe and tempy said miss bolsover exasperated on her return the influence she's gained over them is most painful and scarcely to be believed ha petticoat influence says mr bolsover rashly we all know what this is a very powerful thing i myself could imagine it difficult to resist susanna at times miss bolsover goes into a peal of silvery laughter another victim i told you so caroline another of her victims i don't know about that says mrs bolsover speaking to herself in her odd mumbling way 
victims victims fanny has had plenty of victims in her days now she's too old and too fat to charm people any more Hmm, 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 my dear, says Frederick with warning signs. So Miss Bolsover fortunately kept away from Crowbeck Place, indignant almost beyond words or expression. Mr. Bolsover himself did not come very often, but when he appeared it was generally with a chastened look, which suggested vicarious suffering. When things settled down in their new state, Charlie returned no more to Bolsover. Joe went back to college. Seasons passed on their course. Winter followed the autumn. It was a cold and bitter season. Tempe and her stepmother kept him indoors and by the farm the warm fires, while the winds whistled shrill and the snow fell upon the surrounding fields and moors. But Frazee, a frolicsome little breath of comfort and new hope, would come flying to their arms, and when the winter was gone and the soft spring came, piercing the frozen ground, Joe, returning home for the Easter vacation, found Mickey and Demi, also established for their holidays at Crowbeck, and Susie in some perplexity as to what she should do with them and how they were to be conveyed home to their mother. It was Jocelyn who suggested something which everyone agreed to then and there without discussion. They all wanted change of scene, he said. They all shrank from London and from Wimpole Street. You would like to see your mother, wouldn't you, Mrs. Diamond, said he. Why cannot we take the boys over? Even Tempe brightened up and approved the suggestion. End of section 25